This episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Aftershocks. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and every week on this show, I talk with inspiring people who lead interesting lives on the run and beyond. And while running is what brings us all together, on these episodes, I'm looking for a little more. So join me right here every Thursday to learn about the decisions people have made to get where they are today, the good ones and the bad ones, and how getting sweaty has factored in. Today, I'm talking to Jess Movald. You may recognize her as the most recent face on the cover of Runner's World. And no, young Jess definitely never dreamed of being a Runner's World cover girl. She never dreamed of running at all. Today, Jess is a coach at Mile High Run Club and The Fort in New York City, and she's a 313 marathoner and 129 half marathoner. And while today her life is all about being on the run, that was not the plan. The plan was to work in fashion, which is exactly what this small town girl did when she first moved from Missouri to New York City. Jess's stories from her time in the fashion industry rival that of Andy Sachs in The Devil Wears Prada, so naturally I got her to share a few of those. But we also talk about how her time in fashion made her tougher and helped her find running. Jess has so much good stuff to share, so let's go. Jess, welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I am so excited to have you here today. Let's have some fun. Thank you, Allie. I'm really happy to be here. All right. First thing I need from you, pronounce your last name for me. Movald. So I said, Jess, your last name is pronounced Movald, right? And what did you say? Yeah, that's it. But it's not. That's the fancy version. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, I am very fancy. And we, and we start the show in a very fancy way with a fancy warm up. I felt royal. <laughs> I felt royal. Tell everyone who you are, where you're from, and what you do. All right. I'm Jess Movald. I was born in Oklahoma, raised in Missouri, now living in New York City, and I'm a run coach and strength coach at the Fort in New York City. Okay. So Oklahoma. Oklahoma, Springfield, Missouri, Herman, Missouri, a small little town. Oklahoma and Missouri. They sound lovely. Are they lovely? They can be lovely. Okay. I see. Yeah. Oklahoma, I knew until the age of two. So those memories are faded faded but right. lovely well you're lovely thank you and anyone who's listening and is like just movald movald why do i know that name why do i know that beautiful face well it's on the cover of runner's world uh, right now how does that feel it feels like a huge honor um it feels exciting surreal uh hard to believe at times why well i never pictured myself as a cover girl I never, working in the fashion industry when I first moved to New York, being on a magazine just wasn't something that I never aspired to be or thought would ever happen. So it's it's so funny to see it everywhere. All right, right so we're going to backtrack. We're going to talk all about your career, but, you know, how did this happen? Did you just get an email from Runner's World one day saying, we want you to be the Runner's World coach and on the cover of our magazine? Pretty much, yeah. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it happened really organically. They reached out to me, creating a new platform to connect more organically to their reader, but to their runner. And I thought that was a huge compliment and honor being someone that is in the in the running community and the running scene and really valuing running and the capabilities or opportunities it's given me to, in my life. 
to be able to share that joy with other runners. So that role created for me and uh, was new and just started to connect with runners and the readers of Runner's World. And through that, I put some pieces together and I've done various articles for them. And so Amy, who's awesome, said, Jess, we want to get some content with you. Let's put a shoot together. So. so you didn't know you were going to be on the cover. I had no idea I was going to be so on the cover. So you just roll up and you're like, hey, I'm gorgeous. Take my photo. How did they tell you you were going to be on the cover? Well, they didn't. They didn't at all. It wasn't until Boston Marathon weekend I was in town for the marathon and I was at the, the townhouse, the, the Runner's World house that they had, interviewing Dina Castor, actually. And first of all, I was extremely honored and very nervous to do that. And it was an incredible conversation. I was extremely flattered to be there. And then Jeff said, all right, guys, um, just want to show you one last thing. Jess, can you show the crowd our next issue, Run 3? And he had it, you know, the back of the magazine facing me. And then he handed it to me. And everyone kind of just had this expression on their face. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh. What is on the cover? <laughs> what what are they looking at? And I showed the crowd before I looked at it because I just I was just a little shy and you know I've, it was my reaction. And Jeff was like, "Look at it!" And I did. Then I was like, "Oh my gosh!" My friend Matt Meyer, who's incredible, he was in the crowd with tears and strolling Aww. down his face and the biggest smile. And I had a lot of friends support there. I felt really honored. But that's how I realized that the shoot we did for just some images to have on on hand was actually the cover and you got to celebrate that moment with Dina Castor I know she gave me a huge hug and then said man look at those guns amazing and that was the day we met so I mean yes what a day true that's a huge day we were literally on Instagram saying let's meet in real life sometime five minutes later in the lobby of the Sheraton Hotel we bump Bump into into each each other literally It was great. My life has never been the same since. It's been so much better. Okay, so I want to talk about you as a run coach, your road to fitness. I want to go way back in time. Okay. Because we know that your road to becoming a run coach involves some time in the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. It involves some twists and turns. Was young Jess growing up in in cute Minna, Missouri. Mm -hmm. I'm like Minnesota, Missouri, Montana, one of the M's. Missouri. Herman, Missouri, one stoplight. Nice. More Main than my town Street, had. Market Street. That's it. 30 minutes from a Walmart. Wow. Nice. Blinking red light. Nice. Yeah. It was so, actually perfect to grow up there. Yeah. That's, I grew up in a similar town, actually. Yeah. Sounds nice. Okay. So you grow up. Are you like driving 30 minutes to Walmart to buy Vogue and thinking like, I want to work in fashion? How did, how did little Jess end up here in New you York? You know, it's funny. I went to fashion school in Springfield, Missouri, and I knew I wanted to be in business. I knew I wanted to be... You know, I imagined myself in a business suit, in a briefcase, and power, and, you know, getting up early and being a huge go-getter. But I loved fashion. I loved clothes. And I loved putting my own style into what I was wearing. So I didn't really know what profession I wanted to have. But in the realm of business school, fashion caught my attention. So I went for um, advertising business school major and fashion. And we had to do an internship before we graduated. So our options were, you know, the J.C. Penney's down the street at the mall. Literally, Dollar General was one where someone did their internship, which is awesome. You can do merchandising at any store. And some people were putting together ideas of New York City. 
later on that semester, we had a study trip planned for us and organized to New York. And I went, I, I signed up for it and we came to New York and spent a week and they had places for us to tour. And one of them was the Tommy Hilfiger offices. This really lovely woman was showing us around and she seemed senior in terms of positioning there within the company and but was so down to earth and lovely and talking about the foundation that she is the organizer behind and how it gives back and donating clothes around Thanksgiving and she really had my attention and we were chatting and I was like yeah I think I want an internship here in New York but I'm not sure and she said well do you have your resume with you and I was like yeah I do and I handed it to her she's like I'm Betsy Hilfiger I'd love to have you on board stop yeah so that was February, and then I came back in May, and I had a summer here in New York City living in the New York NYU dorms on Lafayette and Canal, um, and it was incredible. I worked with Andy Hilfiger in the celebrity and entertainment department, help, helping putting together the fashion shows for, uh, was it spring-summer? So it was, you know, the, the September show, or September? Yeah. Wow. I'm losing touch with fashion. <laughs> but it was the collection ahead. So it was spring, summer, 2009. I helped produce that fashion show and it was a really incredible experience. So what did that entail? That entailed creating, well, you know, running around the city, truthfully, <laughs> carrying garment bags. And that's how I got into running. Really? Yes. From running around with the garment bags. So in high school, I was all about track. I was all about speed. My dad would go on long runs and my older sister would join him. I felt left out and I felt like I couldn't keep up. And so I decided that it wasn't for me. Long distance was not for me. Actually, it was all about cross country and I could outrun them, but not for long. So I was like, okay, I'll be, I'll be this track star. So I did. I went to state on the track team, four by one, four by two, open four, open two, anything 400 meters or less, I was all about. You know, but that's high school and I loved that experience. I was really connected to running, but I didn't know what running was. I didn't have a relationship with running outside of a coach and 3 p.m. track practice and meets on Saturdays and that was it. So in college, I lost touch with running and I didn't I never at this point I didn't have that connection with running or that that special relationship like I do now so then I moved to New York and I was doing my internship living in the NYU dorms and Tommy Hilfiger's office is on 26th it's in the Starlight building 601 West 26th Street <laughs> so over there by what is it that ship with the drinks frying pan frying pan oh my god I bet yes. we saw each other there. right the west side highway yes. uh and I was the close the furthest train west was the ACE from 8th Avenue and I underestimated every time leaving I was like oh my gosh I'm running late so I'd be <laughs> in my fashion clothes I would walk the blocks north because that's where I was seeing the most crowds but then I would run the avenues. And the avenues are way longer. They're way longer. And that's why I needed to run them. Because I was running late. So I kind of enjoyed it. And I was like, this is cool. I felt empowered by that. And so my internship ended every day at 4 p.m. And my friends that I was sharing this tiny little room with, with twin bunk beds and no television, little mini refrigerators, and none of us had money. So I'd get done at 4, and they wouldn't get done until 6. And we would save up for you know, happy hour things at down the hatch. Oh and, my God. You know, um, 
but I had time to kill before that. So I was like, okay, let's try this running thing, but in workout clothes. And I didn't even bring a lot of workout clothes that summer. I was too worried about massive wedges that I wore, wore <laughs> everywhere. I didn't wear tennis shoes ever. I was always, even if we went to go sightsee, I was in a heel, which is so why? polar. I don't that know. Sounds so painful. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea why. But um, that was my who I identified myself as but I went for a run and I was like wow and I didn't have a phone I brought my nano and my key and I had a computer but back at my dorm room so I would explore my neighborhood first just to learn my surroundings I wanted to get my bearings of the city I was like I'm gonna be here for the summer let's really learn it quickly I'm not sometimes I can be impatient but I'm not impatient with others. I just wanted to learn. I wanted to know already where I was going. So I was like, okay, running is faster than walking. Let's explore. So I would do a neighborhood run in Soho or over to Chamber Street to find a patch of grass or something by the water. And I would get back and I would memorize the streets that I would run on and turn left and then turn right. And then I'd spend a lot of time on GMAP pedometer reliving my run to get my distance. And I remember hitting the 5k mark I was like okay that's cool and I would then it would motivate me to get out the door and go on another run a bigger run a longer run and my roommates were like okay she's getting obsessed with this late to happy hour. tracking and so I started to say like okay guys don't worry about me I'm gonna be gone and I'm gonna come back and that's how running goes I'm going to build my distance. So it's going to be, in, I don't want to have this stress of leaving and feeling that you're worried about me. So I'd come back and I have a lot of fun stories that I hold very dear to my heart from that summer of people that I came across. I lent a man $20 one day and he's the architect for the Marriott Hotel. I don't know him. We just talked during this run. I, this is the run that I decided to go to Brooklyn. And when I came back and mapped it out, I learned it was a 16-mile run. Whoa! But it was pouring rain with lightning, with moments of lots of darkness and heavy rain. So when I started for the run, it was cloudy. You kind of knew what was coming, but I was like, oh, let's just go for it anyway. <laughs> By the time I was done, it was very treacherous out there but the only other person on the Brooklyn Bridge with me at this time was this man who'd been kind of on the run with me the entire time not in a creepy way but in a we got this we're out here together type of thing so we started to run together and then I was like okay in my head we're on the Brooklyn Bridge my dorm room is on Walker so it's not far from here I have to kind of plan my exit strategy without giving exact details, just in case. So I was like, I'm going to be peeling off, you know, as soon as we are back into Manhattan. And he was like, man, I really underestimated this run. I have to get back to 42nd and 9th, and I don't have anything with me. And it wasn't this, like, subtle dig for help I felt for the guy. He had on a white singlet, and his nipples were very bloody. He'd been out there for a long time. Oh, no. I was like okay, what if I give you cash and you use that to get back? He took me up on it, which I was like, okay, uh, you have to wait here. I'll come right back down. Oh, you went back? So Yeah. I said, so I was like, wait in this corner. I was very impressed that you were running with $20 on you. No, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> I didn't have that on me at all. So I ran, got upstairs. My roommates were like, what 
where have you been? I was like, hang on, digging through my wallet, scraping together 20 bucks in cash. I was like, I'll be right back. I gotta give it to this guy. And um, so anyway, uh, by good faith, he's like, can I please have your email address or something? I'd love to get this back to you. So I gave him my email address the next day. He's like, Jess, thank you so much. You really saved me. And we met at a Starbucks the next day, and he was in a business suit, looked super professional, gave me $30, and said, thank you so much. Interest? Yeah. Wow. I know, at good a Starbucks. Every time I run by that Starbucks on Chambers and Lafayette, I think, man, running is cool. You meet some really, you, you meet people and have these special stories. Have you kept in touch? No. I looked him up, and he for sure is the architect of uh, the Marriott Hotel at the time. This was in 2008. That's why he could afford to give you $30 yeah. back. Yeah. Wow, I love that. Yeah, he sent me a, a really <laughs> kind email, and um, I'm glad it didn't go further than that. I wasn't looking for a pen pal. But uh, it was it was a nice moment, a nice New York running moment. That is a very New York running moment. So when you know you went from saying you went for a – three-mile run before happy hour to a 16-mile run. Yeah. Is that all during the same internship? Oh, yeah. I think it was in, like, two weeks. I, not suggested, not advised. Maybe Great. it was, like, yeah. a month. But I was really <laughs> into this building mileage thing. It was so new to me. In, like, a fun way, or did it get, it like, an obsessive way? It was a total fun way. It was – my cousin – Shout out to Lindsay. She lived in New York at the time, and she now is back in Texas. But I created such an organic relationship with running that it it was all fun. It felt like a exploration, an adventure. Every day I was like, okay, where am I going to explore to next? I think because track was so competitive and it was so speed-oriented and short distances, and I associate the rubber with those feelings that because I was just – you know, going, I would turn left with the green traffic lights. I would, if I was coming up to a traffic, you know, that was driving, I would just take a right. I followed the lights. I followed the, the pedestrian sign and I would just kind of let that guide me. And little did I know it was creating a really fun, special, intimate relationship with running that felt not competitive at all. Do you still feel that way about running? I do. I, I, I recognize or I've come to learn that that is a very special relationship with running and it has to be respected. Um, and there's definitely, definitely been times when that's been compromised with the pressure of performance or running for the wrong reasons or, you know, Instagram can play a big role in that but when I go for a run simply for myself I will always have that same connection to that just that blissfulness of being out there all right so what has the evolution been from from being on the Brooklyn Bridge for a 16 mile run to where you are now did you get to a point where you said like I want to race competitively I want to start chasing goal times what happened so the last memorable run of that summer was a day that I had totally off everyone else had to work it was a Wednesday it was nearing the end of the internship it was hot in the summer and I hadn't run in Central Park yet because I love and I still do I love the ability to walk out the door and run just go go where your feet 
want to take you and you know I take the train sometimes if you know I've, I'm trying to run in the park more I think it's for training purposes it's nice and it's not interrupted once you're in the park you can keep going but I love the element of New York City running where you just literally step out the door and go anyway I wanted to get to Central Park so being at Canal and Lafayette Street I was like that ah, doesn't look that far ran up to Central Park was exploring around like crazy and I it was hot I was like okay let's get a Gatorade and so I spent four dollars the only four dollars that I had on the Gatorade and I was shocked in Missouri maybe I'm delusional Gatorade was a dollar <laughs> and I still had money for the subway train back no I was really excited about that Gatorade so I came to terms with the fact that all of my four dollars were going towards that Gatorade and I just decided that I would get myself back so after many park benches and journeys back downtown I mapped it out and it was 22 miles that day I said okay you can run a marathon that it was wasn't, your 22 mile yeah, it was run. It was a 22 mile run. And, and a $4 Gatorade. The $4 Gatorade, which, <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is enough for a water Gatorade and definitely like a subway back. Welcome to New York. <laughs> right. I, it was a wake up call. So I was like, okay, let's, I'm, let's do a marathon. So I did a marathon that November. So what about on the fashion side? So your internship ends. Do you move back to Missouri to train for that marathon? I did. And it was such a strange transition for me because you know there are people out there running I'm sure but I just didn't notice them you know everyone's in cars and I didn't have a relationship with running so I just probably overlooked that and you know didn't go to the parks where people were running and so I'd run in my neighborhood but it was much harder for me at the time until I remembered that or reminded myself I should say that you have a fondness for running you just have to create a new appreciation for where your surroundings are now it was very different running out my door the neighborhood was short and sweet and then you're on these highways double lane roads and you know I was a waitress at TGI Fridays so I would run there and everyone (laughs) thought I was absolutely crazy and then refuel with what are the yummy the chicken the jack oh the jack daniels sesame lived Chicken off those in strips. college yeah that was like a big like once a month the dance team we yeah. would go to TGI Fridays yeah yeah I know I think they still have those but on they the were menu. really strict about carding and so I was the youngest on the team <sighs> so I would just get chicken while everyone else drank the Jack Daniels chicken yeah really good yeah all right but was your dad excited was he like my girl's running distance yes my dad was were so excited again? and uh, yeah you know, and one of the things, we would go on runs, and one thing I will say about those runs that we went on, he you, used those as opportunities, and I didn't appreciate it then, but he used it as opportunities to to teach me as as a coach, but as a, as a parent, not then, but now, um, as a friend, and just gave me wisdom and guidance, because he had endurance, and I did not. I had stamina, but I did, could not hold a conversation while we did go on those few runs earlier before before any you know higher education I was connected to that and I finally understood the things that he was saying and the things he was pouring into me because I started to see them blossom and I started to see you know the the how important the messages he would give me and 
guidance and coaching for sure, but in his own way, you know, my relationship with Hills has been so special because he'll always say, Hills are your friend and you have to find ways to work through things that are hard and hard work pays off and discipline is important and, you know, a strong value system that is applicable to running. But I think the coolest part about running is that it strengthens me in my everyday life. Ah, so what are the hills in your real life? Dun, dun, dun. Ooh, you know, I mean, little things even. You can build up in your head that you don't want to make your bed, and making your bed is so simple. Are you talking to my husband? <laughs> yeah, this one's for him. <laughs> little things that the bigger you make it in your head, the harder it is to do, the, the harder that relationship is. And um, I think the negativity that can come with that can really seep into your overall ability to do things well and to just do them at all. So, yeah, the hills are my friend. <laughs> the hills are alive. Yes. All right, so on the fashion side. Yes. So you're back in Missouri. You're running with Dad. Do you have dreams of coming back to New York? I had no dreams of coming back to really? New York. Really? I I, I am, was expecting the opposite. I know, I know. I'm a city mover and shaker. I love big dreams and big priorities. But I was very content with my New York experience. I felt like I did it all. I did the runway. I showed up to Diane Kruger's house while Joshua Jackson was in the shower for whoa, her fitting. Whoa. I, I know, I know. Did you get close to the shower? I got as close to the shower as I could. <laughs> And she was right there, like I had to do her dressing, her fitting for the show, and it was a pouring day. She's like, come in, come in. And I was like, this Was she is... lovely? She seemed She was lovely. so kind, so sweet. And, and him in the shower. Right, was that the lovely? water running. And you <laughs> I'm just, just... picturing it, so just give me a second. <laughs> yeah, she was great, and they showed up to the show, and I had that little moment of, you know, Instagram wasn't around. I, no, I didn't have a phone to really blast it. So I had this moment of personal accomplishment, like, yes, this is cool. So that moment felt awesome, but I was very content with, uh, with that summer. And so I moved back, um, finished my senior year, graduated in May. And I decided that I worked so hard all throughout college. My first job was at age 14 and I'd worked ever since. And it was still true at age 21. Yes. (laughs) That I decided to have a fun summer. I worked at the Buckle my freshman year. And What's then that? The Buckle. Oh, it is a store. It's a clothing local, store. Google so. the Buckle. Yeah, okay. They we have, didn't have stores yeah. in Kentucky, New Hampshire. We, we had a Dimitri's Pizza, and that was it. Well, the Buckle was the cool place to buy your jeans oh, at the time. Cute name. Yeah. Um, so I was a salesperson and selling denim on the weekends. And, you know, weekend requests were off limits. So I worked every weekend, and I worked during the week, and that was – my life is the buckle still around the is... buckle is still around really? yeah good for them yes i want wow. my first boss at the buckle he created his own brand now buck mason shout out to buck mason wow and so i learned a lot i learned a lot about people and showing up on time and working hard and being honest and that value system was what i carried into in any job i had and i loved working at tgi fridays <laughs> I know, but I met so many incredible people. I love to work hard, so I didn't mind bussing tables or cleaning that up. That is hard. And Are you kidding? Carry, I pride Food myself how many cups I work. can carry in one hand at a time. 
And I really think that everyone should have a moment in service. Yes, of 100%. Any kind. Retail and or restaurant. Yep. Yeah, it helps with your patience. You understand what the other person's going through. You're versatile in your skills. And you're then nicer to other people yes. working in the service yes. industry. That, 100%. Yep, that was my biggest yes. thing. And I'm, yes, I'm very adamant about that. Yes. So, so I went back to Missouri and I was like, okay, I am going to have a fun summer. I'm going to work at Fridays. I'm going to just figure it out. And I know things are going to line up for me, but I'm not, I just want a moment to chill. At that same time, two weeks later, Tommy Hilfiger called and said, listen, we had, um, you really helped us last season for the show. Can we bring you on for freelance to come um, back to New York and help us with the, the same show that you did last year? But and you now it's a job. They no. just go, girl. They Way said, to leave an impression. Two month freelance job. Are you available? And I was like, yes, 100%. And I, I packed one suitcase. I had everything in workout clothes or fashion or the wedges. You know what? All the wedges. All Again. the wedges. I think I brought I brought some you know workout clothes, okay. but definitely running shoes. And I had I was falling, you know, going fitting in, finding myself a little bit more. But all the fashion clothes. And I took the role and I called my friend Sarah Bickett, who was. My first friend at Tommy Hilfiger, also an intern, she was a year ahead of me. So she got an opportunity right from that summer internship with Ralph Lauren and said, I'm coming to New York. Can I stay with you? And she said, oh, my gosh, I hope you do. So then we just were living our best lives. She was at Ralph Lauren. I was at Tommy Hilfiger. I was living on the couch. But this is what you do. It's East Village. And that was my first nine months in New York City. So not two months. Not two months. The life I had in New York, I my friends would call, are you coming back? The boyfriend I had at the time, he's like, wait, are you coming back? You left a boyfriend in Missouri? I left a boyfriend Amazing. in Missouri. Amazing. <laughs> yes. And he has a beautiful life now. So it's all, it all worked out. And but, you're still here. And I'm still here 10 years later. So that job at Tommy Hilfiger led to a licensing role for Kara Lagerfeld who was his American brand was owned by the licensing department of Tommy Hilfiger and BVH. Then I transferred to Lloyd and Company, which is a fashion advertising house. They do, you know, beauty brands and top fashion. And I was a receptionist buzzing around. And then I went to an, a role as an executive assistant and it was an extremely life-changing role, which yeah, I had for six years. Let's talk about that, Anne Hathaway, and Devil Wears It Prada. was. <laughs> it was an incredible experience that had some highs, had some lows. Tell me about the lows. Or tell me about, like, the crazy movie moments that, you know. Well, the Devil Wears Prada, it's that times five million. And is that because of, like, a boss or the industry in general, like... Tell the, me all the juicy good stuff that I want to hear. The industry in general is mind-blowing. It is, it's fascinating and scary at the same time. There are lovely people in, in that industry and people that I came in contact with that were like-minded as close to myself as possible. But it is, it's a beast. It, it is uh, a fast-paced, high-demanding, no is never the answer type of role 
Like go get the Harry Potter books that don't exist yet and get yes. them bound and on the train with my twins. Well, yes, but in this case, it was a fish tank with black sand at 2 a.m. on Mother's Day the next day with a goldfish, and you better have it. No. Yeah. Did you? Yes. How? Uh, it, you just find every store in New York City, and somehow you find black sand. Holy and the perfect Did goldfish. the mom appreciate it? Yes. And then the fish died. <gasps> no. Yes. You know, and then it's the, I'll be there for dinner and not. And I, the thing is, I create, I set the bar so high. And when you do that and you do it well, that's the new normal. Mm-hmm. And so I continued to hurdle over this very high bar that I set because I had such pride in the role, it was such an honor to be in the role that I had, that I never wanted to let the person down, the family down, the company down, myself down, everything wasn't good enough. And so then you just keep working. Thank yous don't come around, good jobs aren't there. Were you happy? I was happy because I like helping other people. I think the combination of what I do now and what I did then, it was a really beautiful blend of why am I doing this? You know, I lost the wedges, I lost the makeup, I lost the labels and all of the things that come with that industry, but continue to work just as hard for the benefit and joy of other people. So was there a breaking point that made you say like, I, I mean, six years, you said? Six Doing years. that role, that's a long time to be Every supermodel, out. every, you could you could imagine, models are supposed to, big ones, like Naomi, all, top ones. Is she crazy? She's, she's special. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Who's awesome? Other than Diane Kruger. Cindy Crawford. Ooh. Cindy Crawford. She, her call time was 9 a.m. She got there at 8.30. Nice. She was the yes, no problem. Um, sure, we can do that again. Hi, how are you? Manners, just really kind. And a lot of people were like that, actually. There were only few horror stories that are just fun to reminisce with. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Aftershocks. Dare I say it's almost marathon training season. If you are running a marathon this fall, whether it's Chicago, Marine Corps, New York City, CIM, or any 26.2 mile or in between, now is the time to start getting mentally prepped for training and to start gearing up. Marathon training means many miles and many hours on your feet. And if you love training with music, podcasts, or the occasional mid 20 miler phone call with your mom, dad, cousin, or coworker, you're going to need headphones that can outlast your endurance. Enter Aftershocks Wireless Headphones. These headphones are the ideal marathon training buddy. They're lightweight, which is great since the last thing any of us need during a three hour run is anything dragging us down. They have a six hour battery life, so a single charge keeps them fresh for significantly longer than you'll be out training. They're weather resistant and sweat resistant, so when a freak rainstorm hits halfway into your tempo or your forehead sweat is dripping down your temples on your first fart lick, your Aftershocks headphones won't feel a thing. So don't wait until it's the morning of your first training run to realize your Apple AirBuds or bulky Beats by Dre aren't going to cut it. 
Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com to get $50 off Trex Titanium and Trex Air Endurance Bundles. The bundles include the wireless headphones of your choice, a shoe bag, a sport belt, a water bottle, all kinds of marathon training essentials. Now let's get back to the show. Can I get one more horror story? Hmm. So we are in Paris for Paris Fashion Week. My boss calls me. He says, come down to the lobby, bring your passport, meet me there in five minutes. Okay. So I race down there, have my passport ready to go. He said, all right, come with me. We fast forward to us at a small airport. We took a private jet to London. We're then front row and first backstage to a Beyonce concert. Jay-Z is hanging out next to us with Blue Ivy and just the cutest relationship and she's dancing around singing and just full of life and this was in 2015 so younger and um jay says come with me and i'll lead you to your front row and there we are beyonce is literally in my face and i'm thinking oh my gosh my younger i felt honestly wrong to be there because my younger sister loves Beyonce so much she was yeah she was so happy for me but crushed because she's like what how did you get this I can't believe you didn't tell me about it I'm like I'm just trying to keep up I I just trying to just process that this is happening and as soon as that moment happened we're back on the jet back in London or back in Paris and I'm back in the same hotel bed that I was in earlier Thinking, how did that just happen? So your boss must have really liked you. He loved me. And we still have a great relationship. And I really appreciate the lessons. He was a tough, tough employer, tough boss, great teacher, very hard and high expectations. But only because he had the expectations for himself. And I recognized that. And I wanted to continuously give my best because I saw how hard he worked. So there were horror stories and there were moments of just complete chaos. But for him, he was such a, and he is such a genius and hard worker that he only could gain respect because of the example that he set every day. So was the goldfish for his wife for Mother's Day Mm -hmm. from, quote, the kids? Yes. Nice. (laughs) Nice. And what... You don't have to say his name, obviously. What did he do? Like the guy that you're working for? Um, a brand, um, he, he's um, a mastermind. He is, well, yeah, he doesn't do just one thing. He is um, kind of a, it started with retouching and creating a beautiful image from the top 1% in the photography world. You know, Annie's book that, he had everything to do oh, with Annie's book. Yes, <laughs> not Annie, my daughter, Annie Leibovitz. Right, casual. And he's in, um, he's in the movie Sex in the City. He's in the movie. Just a Sex very quick, City. quick shot. In the movie, he's which in, shot? <laughs> in the shot where Patrick de Montchelier is shooting Sarah Jessica Parker. The wedding dress. The wedding dresses. Yeah. Yeah, watch. Next to Kim Cattrall, they're looking at the camera and smiling. Oh, not Andre Leon Talley. No. Okay. No. Great. Exactly. Okay. Yes, which Got we it. saw him in Paris often. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, so he was a, a creative genius. So he would see the things in an image and what, and he'd bring the image to life. He would, um, he wasn't about making 
a model smaller or making her look skinnier. It was about changing the light of the image. And he would never manipulate an image that way. And I respected that because he wanted the real person to show. And he found imperfections as beauty and not flaws. And I always respected that. So the heart behind his his work ethic is what kept me so connected to that role for a long time. I knew that I didn't want the fashion world. I knew that I wasn't about the brand, but I was so committed to that role and I know how beneficial I was to make his life easier. And he trusted me. And I think because of those things and he trusted me with his family and his company and massive roles within his business, I felt that empowerment. And when I'm one of three people in a room with Madonna, and she's asking me a question and we're talking. Not that that was, you know, why I stayed around, but he really cared for me and trusted me. And you're friends with Beyonce now, so wait. So my sister dresses as Beyonce every year for Halloween. I don't know. I think I was just caught up in the moment and I said, can I just show you the picture of my sister? She's you, you every year for Halloween. And she was probably That's really the polite. the first thing I said. She goes, yes, sure. <laughs> and she just said something and I texted Jen right away. And I think we still both have that screen grab of our conversation. And oh my God. Yeah. That's so cute. that was a really life-changing role that I had that taught me a lot about business, a lot about people and how to work hard. So why'd you leave? I left because I had the breaking moment you asked me earlier about. It wasn't anything to do with the role. The role was always going to be the same. I started, I became a client at this little local gym in New York called The Fort, The Fortitude Strength Club. And it was fairly new at the time. They had just opened their doors in December 2015. And this was February I talk about this day often, February 16th, no, February 13th, 2016, it was Fashion Week, and I, a friend of mine who I didn't know well said, I think you might like this gym, and I didn't know her well yet, she's like, meet me at Starbucks for this 9.30 class, I was like, well, why at Starbucks, can't we just meet at the gym? She's like, well, the Marriott guy has your $30, so we're all going to meet there first. You can pay for it. She's like, well, it's really hard to find. You have to go through the freight entrance, and it's not really that developed yet. And I didn't know her yet. I was like, okay, this is your chance to cancel. Have your own Saturday. Let's just not do this. But something was pulling me and said, no, let's go. Let's just get this over with. And we met her. I met this new friend at Starbucks, Jolene. And we went, and it was a small gym, Kyle Fields and Dan Trink, and I felt at home. I felt welcomed, um, and the workout was a serious training session. At the time, I've done some, you know, lightweights, dumbbells that you don't even complete a set with in your own gym. Like, okay, this is good, you know, after a run. But I felt the magic in that room, mainly maybe because it was – a deadlift, which I'd never done before, or the assault bike, but it was the feeling of being coached and believed in. And I, because they believed in me to deadlift, it was my first day there, and I deadlifted 100 kilos that day, which is 200-something pounds. Did you just see the look on my face? <laughs> I, you said 100, and I was like, okay. And then you said kilos, and I, I think I got that. Like yeah. My eyeballs started to hurt. 
I was fascinated. Yeah. I was like, that's like three of you. I can do this. (laughs) Wow. I had no idea that I could do this. And the fort was expensive, is expensive. And I was just this fashion girl making a fashion assistant salary. But I left feeling like my day had changed. My world has changed. Then I had, you know, later it was the Alexander Wang fashion show. And I went to the fashion show. But the entire day, I kept, so I went back to the fashion world, which I was familiar with. But I kept thinking about how I was capable of something like that. I felt strong and empowered more than just physically strong, but I felt like I stood a little taller. I was maybe a little bit more confident. And I was texting with Kyle at the time, a business owner, and he and he's like, you should join the fort. And we were talking prices. I was like, it's expensive. I can't do it. He's like, listen, he gave me a little cut. He's like, we'll give you like this much of a discount if you come every day. And that day forward, I came every single day. And at the time, they have 5.30 a.m. classes now, but I had to be at the office by 7.30 every day. So I took the 6 a.m. class, and it became such a strength-building moment for me. I felt so empowered. I'd go and get my workout in, and I felt unstoppable. I was reaching new levels in personal identity that I'd never experienced before, and I'd walk out of there feeling strong. Oh, I just back-squatted. I would, you know, go into my calculator and times, you know, the kilo 2.2 and be astounded by what I was lifting and what I was capable of. And that confidence carried over into my workday. But I would find myself feeling tired and a little, and I lost that morning glow as the chaos started of every day, you know, running around. And each day I would think, this is silly. I, this is, why am I running around like this? These are not massive problems and urgency of a lipstick or a dress or a print or a first class seat. There are bigger things to focus on. And I started to wake up a little bit. I started to wake up and not like my priorities, even if they didn't necessarily align with my own personal value system. They were my job. They were my daily responsibilities so they became my identity too and I didn't want that for myself I I would look around and see people in higher positions and see family problems health problems unhappiness and I'm thinking if I'm working this hard to get to that that's not what I want so uh it was April 4th at this point so it wasn't that long February I just connected to the fort I said to my boss, I said, I have to talk to you. And it was 9 p.m. He was headed out the door, and he had on his suit and his jacket. He's like, all right, I'll see you later. And I had that feeling all day. I was like, I, this needs to be I need to talk to him. And he had a long meeting going on, and my energy and charisma and strength to have that conversation was quickly fading because I was ready to do it at 5 p.m., and someone jumped in. Oh, I'll just be one second. And the meeting was six hours, still going. I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom and like have a pep talk with myself. And I decided, I was like, oh, this should just wait till tomorrow. It's like, no, it should wait not till tomorrow. Let's do this. (laughs) So I went went to the bathroom, had like a moment where I was like, you can do this. Came back and his lights were off and he was heading out the door. I was like, oh my gosh, darn it. I missed my opportunity. So I said, I need to talk to you. And he's like, okay, can it wait? And I said, no. And at that moment, I had his attention. 
but by having his attention, he had my attention and I stood there. He's like, should it be in my office? I said, yes. So we go into his office and I just said, I can't do this anymore. And he was very caught off guard, which is fair. And because I think he was expecting me and to be in that role for a long time. And he wanted to give me all of the opportunities that came with growth and development and they just weren't working out. And I think it's because I deep down didn't want them. And he said, Oh, I get it. The expectations is too much. The role is too big. The peer pressure is too much. And I didn't know what he was talking about, but maybe he thought I wanted that role so much and it, I just wasn't rising to the opportunities. He said, I get it. The mountain's too steep. And I said, no, it's just the wrong mountain. Whoa, mic drop. He looked at me and gave me a hug and said, I understand. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Thank you. And that was my fashion days. Those were my fashion days. Yeah. Well, so now you're a coach. You are a badass runner. So you've shifted. You're not just the girl at the fort. You're like the girl behind the microphone. You coach at Mile High Run Club. Yeah. Did you pretty quickly know after leaving fashion, like, the fitness world would be your next career move? Yes. Um, The ability to really speak up and um, transition out of the fashion world was manifested and harvested through strength and a lot of belief in the roots that I was developing within the fort. And I was creating a really strong sense of community there and a lot of motivation from the guys saying you can have what you want because I felt so myself in those strength sessions and then I'd leave and I'm like okay well I'll be back and you know they'd say you know Jess this could be your life and they started sending me videos of David Goggins and uh, you know just inspirational moments where I recognized that I could have this life I could create a life for myself that is as purposeful and passionate and fulfilling that helps people in a completely different way that I I ultimately want for others because I found myself you know waiting outside of fashion meetings or whatever and chatting with the the door guy who's standing there smoking a cigarette and easy to talk to and I'd say man why are you smoking that cigarette and we would just have a heartfelt conversation and I really enjoyed those moments and creating an opportunity at the fort they needed another trainer and I then was brought on there it was not a seamless transition it wasn't like (laughs) it never on Monday I'm wearing heels on Tuesdays I'm wearing you know flat shoes I went through a huge moment of kind of freak out thinking where what am I doing I, I ran into a few people that I you know see in a meeting or clients of the fashion world and I was in tights and a tank top or running clothes and it was 11 a.m. on a weekday and they seemed so confused to see me and then I suddenly found myself making excuses or kind of not dumbing down but trying to justify my appearance Uh, oh yeah well now I'm not there anymore and I had this moment where am I important still do I matter are I because I connected to that role in such a full-on way I didn't know who I was at that point I knew I loved to run 
But I had to carry two phones and I stopped running because carrying two phones was hard. Not running with my phone was not an option. And the stress of missing a phone call or a text at any point was worse than just not running. That sounds miserable. It was miserable. I would, I'll never forget a day I went for a two two hour run and I came back to 30 missed calls and text messages and I panicked the rest of my weekend, a flight change. And, oh, I was just traumatized. I was traumatized. Jesus. So I carried my phone with me and then I was like, oh, this is whatever. I'll just not run. I'd rather feel totally in control of any massive curveball that's going to be thrown my way and be ready to put a fire out than to be on a run, say, okay, I can get back to you in 30 minutes. I'm on a run now. And he might have handled that well. I, he might have. He might have understood. But I th- had been through the fire before, and I just knew that I didn't want to feel it, so I protected myself from it and kept myself from probably a lot of epic runs because of it. Well, you're making up for it now. I am. A lot of epic <laughs> runs am. now. All right, so now, like I said, Mile High Run Club coach. Yes. You're at the fort. You're the runner's world coach. What is the most fulfilling part of your life and your day right now? The most fulfilling part of my day is to see someone accomplish something that they didn't know that they could do. And that's, you know, a heavy back squat or deadlifting for the first time or running three miles without stopping or coming in for a run and say, man, I really listened to what you said on my race this weekend and here's a report back. It is so fulfilling to me to see the joy of someone when they tell a story about an accomplishment that they didn't know that they were capable of. And here they are, capable of what they committed to or what they wanted for themselves. I There's so many times when a friend from the fashion world, you know, because I still keep in touch with everyone, and all of those relationships I cherish they would say man Jess it's so cool you're a runner I could never be that and I'm always fascinated and it's one thing if you don't want to be it's another thing to automatically limit yourself and rule something out but without even trying so I always say okay have you ever been late to a meeting have you ever almost had to like run towards a bus or the pedestrian sign is coming to a stop and there is full-on traffic coming your way. What do you do? You instinctively run. You pick up the pace to get there faster. And we could just call that running. Um, So I say that, just try. Or there's so many times when someone will say, when I get in shape, I'm going to start running with you. I'm going to come run. But you just have to try it. Just have to try it. Five minutes, a mile you know, a minute on, a minute off, just give it a shot. I love that. All right. Let's say hypothetically, okay. I want to have abs like yours, okay. but like also I don't want to change literally anything about my life. Okay. Including my diet. Yeah. I don't, I didn't change my diet. Great. How can I have abs like yours? Well, I heard, I think it's some genetics. I also think one word I was offended by it one time but now I find a huge compliment is the word capable why were you offended by that well I didn't know what it meant and this was Dan Trink actually he came up to me he's like Jess he had a really serious look on his face he said you're looking very capable 
And you're like, use it in a sentence. I was a different like, one. okay. And I was like, man, what does that mean? But at now, I've it's a huge compliment. I want to be capable in 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 life. In training for life is a is one of my favorite things to say because you just you have to pick up an air conditioner. Well, if you're not, no, not strong, you can't do that. Or pick up your kid, or pick up heavy groceries. Small. Yeah, groceries get nope. delivered. Okay, fine. I do Blue Apron. Darn it. Uh, okay. What else? what else? That's it. That's all I can think of right no, now. No, I do grocery shop sometimes. Yeah, of course. And you know, Annie's gonna get bigger. Oh, Annie's I know. gonna get heavier. Annie's gonna want you to hold her. I want to hold her. Yeah, you're gonna start deadlifting. Uh, I'm not doing them right. All right. How do, just, how so do I get abs, the abs? You I'm know, very interested in that. Front squatting. I'll say it. I love. I love front squatting. That, that's an ab move? Yeah, it's an ab move. I'm it's doing a, it wrong. <laughs> load up the bar heavier than you would oh, like. Oh, I'm not using a bar. Okay. So I guess that's the first right, that's problem. problem one. Yeah, front squats. Dan Trink, I keep referring to him, but his favorite move is the push away. I was like, Dan, what? I had to write early on into my fitness career. I was asked to contribute some things, and I trusted what I had to say, but I also wanted his input and so I'd say Dan what's the best secret to abs and his did first I write answer that story you might have wait did you yeah we gotta check that this is sounding yeah familiar. because I gave seven things I re- I think it was you I remember writing front squats I remember writing um a few you know obvious ab movements and then the last one was the push away and that's all thanks to Dan Trink he said you you want abs First, do the first six, you know, front squat, strength train, blah, blah, blah. The last one, put one hand down, put the other hand down, and push away from the kitchen table. I was like, okay. All right. So obviously, I I don't have a kitchen table. Diet, (laughs) me neither. Diet does have something to do with it. Screw it. I don't need abs. Okay. Yeah. Who does? All right. Should we sprint to the finish? I could talk to you all day. I'll keep you you all day. You know, if I had full time. If I had full-time childcare, we would go for another hour. I know. But I'm like Cinderella, and, and um, my baby turns into a pumpkin oh, if I'm no. not home together, okay, which is a scary... we got to get back to scary. Annie. All right. You ready? I hope so. Are are you, how are you at sprinting? Are you pretty good? I love sprinting. You do? Yes. What's your... I mean, you've done... We didn't even get into your, like, specifics, but, I mean, you've okay. done everything from the short stuff to the ultras. What's your sweet spot? Okay. So, I'll quickly just give you a quick reel. Um, sprint stuff, track... First marathon was the Bass Pro Marathon. My bib number was 59, not because there were a lot of people, or either I was the fastest, but because it was that small of a race, which I'm going to show you a photo of that. I would um, love that. Bass Pro, say, I didn't even know they had. Nothing new on race day. If Send me a message, anyone, if you want to see a traumatizing photo of nothing new on race day. I do. Okay, imagine p- white shorts. I love it. Size medium when I needed a size small. Bought them at the expo. They're soccer shorts. They're baggy. And at mile 16, a woman says, do you want some cream? I had no idea what she meant. I didn't know what that meant at all. I was like, that's weird. But no thanks. I'm good. She took me out of my trance. This is when I knew I had a high pain tolerance. I was in such a trance. I was out of that trance at that point. And I looked down and it was traumatized I was so freaked out my legs were rubbed raw the white shorts it looked like I had the heaviest period of my life and so I started running backwards in the course to find this woman I was like where is that cream I'm literally running against 
the stream now of runners coming the at best, me. The best pro Yeah, country. against, yeah. Did you find her? Um, I found her. I said, yes, where's that cream? Why didn't you say something? She goes, well, I offered you the cream and you said no. I was like, I had no idea this was happening. So we went to her friends. She got me the cream. And the last 10 miles were the most painful. The photo will show you. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. So I, it was a running joke and I've shared it with a lot of people because nothing new on race day, people, nothing new. And I've learned a lot since then. You're my favorite person. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, that was my first marathon. (laughs) Then I, I, I kept doing that for a while. New York City is amazing. I've done it every year since 2013. And I've done the Speed Project, which is epic. And it's just a really life-changing experience. Yeah, lots of mileage. Take it easy. I also, have you heard of the Great New York Expedition? Yeah. 100-mile course. Starts at 5 a.m. Shout out to Phil McCartney, who started this first year, 2012. Um, I just broke up with a boyfriend, and I wanted to prove something epic to myself. So I reached out to him. Nothing like 100 miles of running to do that. This was in May. I was like, hey, can I do your 100-mile ultra? He said, sure, what's your longest race been? And I said, uh, the Boston Marathon in April. He was like, uh, I was like, but I'm really tough and I can do this. And he was like, sure. Guys, do as she says, not as she just did. Yeah, so I, I ran it and I I ended up having to pull out at mile 80. But I was pretty proud of myself. I showed up with minutes. one water bottle and like this little pack of fuel of like you know gummies and stuff everyone else had all these packs on different change of shoes gallons of water do what they do not what I did but I met some incredible people at 5 a.m and I ran and I just think it's so cool so I was like wow I can do any distance then I wanted to work back on my speed so I went back that's the Boston days and which I will I also did Boston wrong you did Boston wrong? Yeah, that was in 2012. I ran because I got lost on that Saturday. 2012 was a very hot year. You got lost? Well, it was my first During trip to Boston. The race? No, I went okay. on okay. my own. I, I went on my own and had this awesome, you, your awesome experience. And on Saturday, I was going to go for a shakeout. I was on the Charles and it was beautiful. Did 10 miles. <laughs> Dehydrated. Why? I know. I, it was an accident. I still didn't. I didn't have a GPS watch until 2018. But you knew I've never you tracked my time running. until then. So I just was like, it's a beautiful day. Let's just go around. And then I couldn't find my way back. And then I was like, oh gosh. And I mapped it again. I was still using GMAP pedometer. Come on. And it was 10 miles. I'm like, shoot. Um, but that was a really tough year. I, I would that was a think, also, yeah. you know, qualifying for a marathon in Boston doesn't mean you. You're trained for it. You still need to train even if you qualify. So my goal, if you want to know, is for Berlin. I'm going to train for Berlin, and I'd love to break three. That's I'm going to put it out there because I'm just blown away by Des on your show. And when she put it out there, you motivated her, encouraged her to put it out there. All right, pro tip. Yeah. Just, you know, I'm such an expert. I absolutely believe you can run sub three. Okay. I would say don't run 10 miles the day before. Okay, fine. I would say plan your outfit sooner than now. Okay. I would say don't buy shorts at the expo. Okay. And I would say that's it. I think And, and bring more than just a water bottle. I mean, right. you know, just like plan, just like plan, plan a little for bit. It. Okay. Just plan for it. Okay. Train for it. Plan for it. Train. Okay. All right. I can do it. But this is just a sprint. Okay. I'm ready. 
You ready? Mm-hmm. I just want everyone to know that when I said sprint to the finish, you changed your position on the chair. She was sitting. She's now perched and squatting. So we are taking this <laughs> very, very seriously. Ready. And I'm serious. What would your last meal on earth be? Pizza. Favorite movie? Save the Last Dance. Favorite TV show? Criminal Minds. Favorite place you've ever run? Death Valley, The Speed Project. Favorite race? Ooh, Falmouth Road Race. Favorite pair of running shoes? I have a lot. <laughs> Do you have a race mantra? Just get there. Where was your first real kiss? Um, the ho- entrance to the locker room in eighth grade. Where was your most recent kiss? Oh, this morning at our running gym. Oh, I love it. What is something you think everyone should do at least once in their lives? Go for a run without a phone. Who was your childhood celebrity crush? Oh, man. Brad Pitt? If you could go for a run with anyone, who would it be? My mom. If you could coach anyone, who would it be? My nephews. Oh, what celebrity would you love to be stuck in an elevator with? Hmm. Mm, I don't know why I'm blanking. Are you hitting the wall? Yeah, I'm hitting the, the sprinting <laughs> wall. Um, let's see. Wait, Oprah? Oh, that's a good one. What one word do you want to be remembered by? I had like five words at one time. Same I all. tried to grab them all. Grab them all. Throw them out. It's fine. Um, courageous, kind, compassionate. Good ones. Tell me three things you love about yourself. I love that I'm unapologetically myself. Um, I'm not... You know, I'm emotional. I'm, I'm driven by emotion. I'm messy, but I care. And I'm strong. I love those. Last thing I need from you, give everyone listening a reason to run today. Because it, you, there's never a run that I've gone on that I walked in the door and said, I wish I didn't do that. I have my best thoughts, my most clearest thoughts. Come back happier. Sometimes you get out of cry. And you always feel better. I love it. Everything about you is amazing. Thank you, Allie. It's, it's such an honor best. to be here. It's an honor to I have you. I could sit here and talk with you all day long. Let's do this every day. I would love that. They might get bored of us. No, never. No? I think we're very entertaining. I think we're entertaining, too. We're ourselves. Unapologetically. Unapologetically. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Alley on the Run show. I love Jess so much. Do you love Jess so much? Let me know. Tell me at Alley on the Run 1 on Instagram and Twitter and on the Alley on the Run Facebook page. And here's my weekly ask. You knew this was coming. Please go ahead and leave a rating and quick review for the Alley on the Run show on iTunes. I'd love to know what you think of the show. And that's a great way to help more listeners find us and join in on all the fun. And of course, big, big, big thank you and lots of hugs to everyone who has already left a rating and review. I appreciate it so much. Finally, let's give another round of applause to Aftershocks for sponsoring the Alley on the Run show. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off wireless headphone endurance bundles. Have a beautiful day and thanks for joining me on the run.